And it's on page 352. So at 1 Kings, chapter 12, and starting to read at verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Sheshem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom is now likely to revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up at Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came up to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel, so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. The second reading is from 1 Kings chapter 13 on page 352, beginning at verse 1. So 1 Kings chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who made offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign this is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return 
by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Thank you, Maria. Um, I should have said at the start, of course, for those who are uh, visitors, I'm Bob Marsden, I'm the senior minister here. Let me just say, David uh, and Helen are away at a confirmation, I think, of uh, one of their godchildren, uh, so please do pray for them. I think it's being taken by uh, uh, Rob Munro, our bishop. Good opportunity to talk to him. Be good if you had uh, kept 1 Kings 12 open, uh, page 352. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again that you're the speaking God. And please help us to um, know that your word is trustworthy. Father, we live in an age where there is much skepticism, even within your visible church, as to the power and truth of your word. So please help us now to be those who do indeed trust and obey you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To trust Jesus is both wonderful and challenging. Uh, Jesus invites us, doesn't he, to turn to him. We've already done that this morning, to trust him. He invites whoever we are, whatever we've done. The troubled, the weak, the fearful, those who think they're strong, the anxious. And the invitation is to find forgiveness for our sins, to find strength and comfort and peace, eternal life, life knowing God. Now, that is glorious, isn't it? But let me say it's also challenging. Our attitude and approach to God's word are at the very heart of trusting and obeying Jesus as Saviour. Can we trust God and the promises that he's made to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ? There are many challenges to that. Can we trust God's word in the light of the changing uh, international situation? I don't think I'm the only person who has noticed and been struck and perhaps even alarmed at the many more mentions of World War III. Can little Ottilie trust God's word as she grows up? Will God keep his promises, his word, made through his son, Jesus? Let me say there are always temptations, aren't there, to make following Jesus a little bit easier. To leave out, or indeed to shut out, the bits of his word that we don't like. Or what doesn't quite fit in with the life that we want and that we think we deserve. And that is complicated, let's be honest, because uh, there are churches and church leaders who also ignore God's word. And let me say, it's not that they deny the Bible, but they just turn its clear meaning on its head and yet they appear so religious. 
And then all the time, there's what's going on in our hearts. Our hearts are tempting us with idols. Let me say an idol is anything that we think will give us significance or meaning or security that only Jesus Christ can truly give. And so there's the challenge of allowing God's word to uh, really come up against our idols, to expose them and bring us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, we meet a king who had the word of the Lord. Actually, in the most extraordinary way. But he was tempted to find his security and purpose in things other than the word of the Lord. I've put a brief outline on uh, the sheet, on the back of the notices. So firstly, the word of the Lord ignored by a king who makes up his own religion. Uh, King Jeroboam has already received a great promise. And you'll see it there. I put it on the outline. I will read it out. 1 Kings 11. This has been this terrible civil war. The kingdom has divided and Jeroboam is going to be the ruler of the north. And this is what God says to him. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. And look at this. I will build you a dynasty, a house, as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. Now, King Jeroboam of Israel, the northern kingdom, would not produce the heir of David, or the promise of the heir of David. That would be the opportunity of King Rehoboam in the southern kingdom. But notice what the Lord does promise Jeroboam. That God would be with him, and... This isn't a bad offer, is it? A kingdom, a house, a dynasty. That's not a bad offer, is it, from the Lord? Provided he obeyed God's word. Now look what happens in chapter 12. Let's pick it up, verse 25 that we read. Jeroboam wants to make himself secure. Uh, We all do, don't we, in life? Verse 25, then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Now, taken on its own, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. But then see what Jeroboam's thinking. Sin starts up here in our minds and in our hearts. They work together, don't they? Look at this, verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself... The kingdom is now likely to revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Do you see what he's fearful of? Fearful that his people will desert to the southern kingdom. Because that is the kingdom of the house of David. He's fearful and faithless. To be precise, he won't trust the word of the Lord. And he must make himself secure in some different way. 
Let me say that's a constant temptation. To think we must have something more than the word of the Lord to be secure. So what does uh, Jeroboam do? Well, he ignores the word of the Lord and he invents his own religion. Now look at verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. So Jeroboam did what Aaron did, if you remember, way back when the Lord had brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Remember that Aaron had made uh, a golden calf after they had received the Ten Commandments. Even though the Lord had expressly said, the images must not be made. That was back then. Now, Jeroboam, he makes two golden calves. And as we'll see, he, he dresses them up in lots of, let me say, authentic language. He builds two worship centers, one at Dan, right up in the north, the other at Bethel, near the southern border. Let me say that they were significant places in Israel's history. False religion is always going to use bits of true religion, places, symbols, words. And if you like, this is, you know, the, the analogy might be there's no need to go to the mega superstore temple in Jerusalem. We've now got the local religious express store at Dan or Bethel. No need for a passport or visa. Don't have to cross the border. Religion would be so much more convenient and easy in the northern kingdom and so useful for the king. But of course, this is man-made religion. And the writer wants to stress that. If, uh, in fact, the word made comes eight times in three verses. It just comes in different forms. That's, I'm going to read from verse 31. Jeroboam built made shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. There's the writer's comments. It's a man-made religion. True priests came from the house of Levi. This is just him making up his own religion. He, verse 32, he instituted, made, a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, note the writer's comment here, a month of his own choosing, he's making up his religion, convenient for him. He offered sacrifices on the altar he had built, made at Bethel. A man-made religion. And Jeroboam wants religion that is useful for his ends. Don't we all want security? Especially in an uncertain world. Why do we assume that there'll always be peace? 
But where do we find true security? It's not in man-made religion. You see, the th- and, and, and the striking thing here is that Jeroboam's man-made religion looks like the old religion. It had priests, it had festivals, it had altars. It even talked about being brought to you out of Egypt. It's just that he's added a few more gods rather than the one true God, the Lord Yahweh. And you can just imagine, please bear with me, someone trying to justify these inventions. Our faith has never been narrow and exclusive. This diversity is so right. Uh, More accessible, more relevant to the people. Let me say that false religion is always promoted in a way that makes it sound attractive. Rebranding for personal gain is a common trick, isn't it? I often get ringworm of the foot. Does anyone know what that is? You're too embarrassed to shout it at me. Does anyone actually know what it is? I bet Dr. Todd does. Come on, Dr. Todd. Thank you. Would, who would want to admit to having ringworm of the foot? In the 1930s, it was renamed by someone who had discovered a cure. This person actually discovered that horse ointment, uh, uh, ointment, sorry, ointment, which went on horses, actually also cured ringworm of the foot. And he wanted people to admit they had the problem and buy his cure, so he named his product a cure for athlete's foot. Who wouldn't want to admit that they had athlete's foot? It's so positive, isn't it? (laughs) False religion is always promoted in a way that makes it sound attractive, but God hates false man-made religion. Look at verse 30. The writer is absolutely clear. And this thing became a sin. And it wasn't just that Jeroboam was sinning. He led the people into sin. So just think of those first readers, hearers in exile in Babylon. Israel's failure was all to do with unrepentant disobedience to the word of the Lord. So many kings and so many of them go wrong and lead the people into sin. And you see, they would be asking, wouldn't they, in exile, is the Lord going to be faithful? Can we trust his word? Look at these promises. When's it going to happen? Let me just apply this to us straight away. I just want to say, beware man-made religion. All other religions, big or small, are man-made. They're an invention of what God says are foolish, sinful minds full of idols. And that is why Christianity is so unique, isn't it? Because God has sent his son. It is God making himself known. It is true revelation. I have come to seek and to save the lost. Coming from God to make God known. And the word of the Lord Jesus confronts all religions. 
and commands repentance and faith. But here is another thing we need to be aware of. Beware of church leaders who invent their own religion. Because false teachers in the church will use Christian places and symbols and language. They will talk about the gospel, but it's not the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other Lord that only he by his sin-bearing death can save us from the judgment to come. And false teachers want to change the holiness of life that God's word commands. To use the Apostle Paul's word in 2 Timothy, they have the form of godliness, but deny the power of the gospel word to save and to transform. Let me say that is the ongoing tragedy. Let me say not just of the Church of England, but all the old denominations. So do use these prayers to bless this type of relationship which is ungodly. And the argument is they'll make our religion more relevant and accessible, more fulfilling. Beware, false teachers. And of course, in doing that, many are tempted, many people are tempted not to have confidence in the clarity and trustworthiness of God's word because we read God's word, then it, it is crystal clear on lots of issues. So remember that the word of the Lord is not undone by general synod or by disobedient house of bishops. And then lastly, before we look on, there were politicians and leaders who want to use religion for their own ends. We just need to be wary of that, don't we? As we come into a year of an extraordinary number of elections all over the world, whether it's India, whether it's America, whether it's Russia, I woke up, sorry, Russia's not having an election, sadly. I woke up on Friday to read the headline, uh, God is on our side, says Putin. But some might have seen the picture of Donald Trump alongside a long-haired Jesus-like figure. I noticed there's also one with Jesus alongside Biden. Leaders and politicians often want to have a tame form of Christianity on their side, but they rarely like to be challenged to repent and believe the good news. Remember, we serve another king and another kingdom. Can I say? Of course, we must vote. We must try and act wisely in doing that. Use the information we're given and we pray for our leaders. What do we pray? We pray for peace so that we can get the gospel out. So we want to pray for the Middle East, for the Ukraine. It's much easier for us to, for Christians, our brothers and sisters, to serve Jesus when there's peace. Let's see how the story develops going on in chapter 13. Let me say that there are a number of prophecies. And the phrase, the word of the Lord, is repeated nine times. The actual phrase, the word of the Lord, comes nine times. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. See again in verse 2, by the word of the Lord, comes nine times, and actually different variations come of it. The Lord says, comes all the way through. So secondly we learn the word of the Lord 
to be trusted and obeyed. And just look at this first prophecy, verse 2. By the word of the Lord he cried out against the altar. This is a man of God. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. So this man of God prophesies two things. One is long term. So the prophet promises a king. The writer names him as Josiah. A long-term prophecy. Gazette is predicting something which will happen 300 years later. Jeroboam's 900 BC. Josiah comes over 300 years later. You can read about it in 2 Kings 23 if you want to read about it. But think about what it meant for the first readers in exile. It is a long-term prophecy that comes true. But there's also a short-term prophecy. Look at verse 3. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign that the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. And Jeroboam does what all false teachers do, let me say, and all false religion does, when confronted by the truth of God's word, unless it repents, it attacks and tries to silence the prophet and silence the word of the Lord. Look at verse 4. When King Jeroboam heard what the man cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! Amazing, isn't it? When you think of the promises that he has had, We need hearts that are ready and willing and eager to obey. But look what happened. But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord always comes true. Can always be trusted. It always should be trusted. And this man-made religion can't give what humans most need. Do you notice that? The golden bulls can't help him. Verse 6. Then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord. Interestingly, it's still your God. And pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. And what happens? (laughs) Wonderfully, the Lord in his mercy heals his hand. So the word of the Lord has come as a word of judgment, but also the word of the Lord comes as a word of mercy and grace. Isn't that so true of the one true God? Verse 7, the king said to the man of God, Ah, look, come home with me for a meal. Come home with me for a meal. I'll give you a gift. Come home for a bite to eat, said Jeroboam. And the prophet sees the danger because he has the clear word of the Lord. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, what a temptation, eh? 
I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here, for I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. You see, to be faithful to the Lord means obedience, faithful obedience. Imagine, imagine lunch at the king's house. It wouldn't be a McDonald's. Though some people think McDonald's would be better. But here's the issue. Surely, surely we could sit down and have fellowship together. Now let me say that there's another extraordinary story before we get to the end. Please do read it. I haven't got time to look at it. But please do read it. And again, it's all about obedience to the word of the Lord. And there's an extraordinary twist in the middle of the story. But let's just go to the end of the chapter. Just flick over the page to see what Jeroboam does. So much of the word of the Lord. A word of judgment, but also a word of mercy and grace. You'd have thought he'd be right on the ball. Verse 33, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a, become a priest. <laughs> he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. So no true repentance from Jeroboam. The Lord had given him a word to be trusted. Yes, judgment was coming, but he'd given him mercy and grace. And he preferred his man-made religion to the word of the Lord. How wonderful it is to live this side of the coming of Jesus, isn't it? To live in the full blaze of God's revelation. Because one in the line of King David has come, Jesus the Christ. And he wants us to be wise for salvation through him, not to be fools. Remember, Jesus himself was tempted not to trust God the Father and his word. Specific temptations. And he is God's king who fully and completely trusted his father and in whom all the promises of God in the Old Testament find their fulfillment, their yes. How does the word of the Lord come to us now? Primarily and authoritatively in this apostolic word, the New Testament, the gospel word, the promise of God now comes to the world in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're always reading it and studying it. The incarnate word, the Lord Jesus, points us to his written word and his written word always points us to trust and obey the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus. And we can trust and should trust and must trust his word in an uncertain world. And let me say, it seems to me from this we are commanded not to have anything to do with false religion. The man of God was not to have fellowship with an unrepentant king. 
He was not to carry on relations with a disobedient, unrepentant regime as if they could coexist together. The light of Christ and his church must not fellowship with the darkness of false man-made religion. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Yoked. Of course we're going to be in the world, but yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? We do not walk together with those who invent another religion. And let me say, let us trust God and his word when he challenges our idols. An idol is anything created that we think will give us our significance and meaning and security that only Jesus Christ can give. And the Lord does not hesitate to challenge us as to our idols. Maybe you know what your idol is and the Lord constantly challenges you as to what it is. It may be that you half suspect what you think your idol is and the Lord keeps on digging reminders. Now sometimes he does that gently. Sometimes he stops us in our tracks. So we trust our job for security and we lose our job. We trust our good looks for acceptance and then the bags and sags arrive. We trust our fitness to find our worth in sport Here's a temptation of mine. And then our eyes go, or our memory goes, and you can't remember what name you're saying. We trust retirement for a good time. I've earned it. Peace, fulfillment, and then we get ill. And often the Lord comes in and speaks his word to us and says, no, no, no. I'm to be your tower, your rock, your saviour, your Lord. Only in me and my word can you find true security, true acceptance, true value. So let's not be foolish like Jeroboam. Let's delight. Let's delight that we trust the God who will judge. I wondered... Maybe we were tempted to ignore what we learnt from Revelation before Christmas. That Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That is basic, orthodox, creedal Christianity. Don't listen to made-up, man-made religion. True Christianity is sinners being saved by Jesus, his death, his sin-bearing death, for him, from the judgment to come. We trust the word of judgment, we trust the mercy and grace. Isn't it wonderful to believe the good news? How wonderful is the mercy and grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, please... Write these stories on our heart as we 
understand what they meant to the first readers and we see them fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, your perfect king, your king who would come in, come and bring in your kingdom that will last forever and in which you delight to give eternal life to to those who turn to you in repentance and faith. Father, please expose what our idols are. Please bring us to a greater dependence upon the Lord Jesus and his word and his promises. And in an uncertain world and in a confused church, Father, please help us to be faithful in trusting and loving the Lord Jesus and obeying his word. For we ask it for his glory and in his name. Amen.